are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. My name's Mark. I serve as uh, the teaching pastor here at Redeeming Grace Church. If you're here for the first time, uh, welcome, uh, Sojourn Church. Welcome. If you're online with us, welcome. We are this morning, uh, oh, actually, one thing before I forget. We had planned to have the Lord's Supper this morning. We had a little shipping problem, so we didn't have quite enough. We thought we could put them out and have like a free-for-all and see who wanted to fight over it and get it, or we could say we're going to wait for another time, and we opted for that. So, sorry, uh, but no Lord's Supper uh, uh, today. We are, as has been mentioned, we're coming to the uh, sixth and last message in our Kingdom Citizens series. It is our conviction that to follow Jesus effectively and faithfully as his disciples, we must understand what his kingdom is all about and how to live in it. His kingdom is both here and future. It's now and not yet. It's actually the presence of the future. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has invaded the kingdom of this world, and it is taking root one life at a time, as we just saw in this wonderful baptism with Sarah. So over the last six, excuse me, six weeks, we have learned about what the kingdom is, how it's this redemptive reign of Jesus. It's Jesus coming as king and, and taking uh, his rightful place on the hearts, uh, in, in the hearts and lives of uh, people here and around the world. It's a kingdom that's truly but not yet fully present. And then what does it mean to live in that kingdom? And so we've learned about what it means to be sojourners and exiles, what it means to be merciful neighbors. And this morning, we're going to learn about what it means to be intercessors, to be kingdom citizens who pray. Uh, next week for Redeeming Grace Church, we're going to continue on the kingdom theme and talking about kingdom living, kingdom unity, speech, economics, and so on. Uh, I think Sojourn, you guys are going back to the Gospel of John uh, next week. And then uh, we'll have an Advent series uh, starting at the end of November and up to Christmas. Um, let's see. So this morning, the um, passage is uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. So please get that out and, and be ready to follow along as Shannon reads. But also, I want to encourage you as you're doing that, there's a prayer, a corporate prayer that we're going to be praying together at the end of the service. It's in your QR code. It's on the website. It's called God's Cause. So you want to have that ready for us to pray together at the end of the service as well. So Shannon, please come. Our text this morning, God's word to us this morning, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 6. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Thank you, Shannon. Let's pray. 
our God and Father, we lift our hearts to you. We know that in these moments as we hear and respond to your word, it's possible for nothing to happen and nothing to change, and it's possible for eternal things to take place here. We confess and acknowledge our need for you and our desire for your kingdom to come now, for your spirit to come and rule and reign in our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us through these words and shape our lives in conformity with your will and your purpose as the saving God, the one God with the one mediator who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, shape us and conform us so that we would carry that desire after you. We appeal for these things for the sake of your name and the cause and the glory of our great mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today's passage is a call to prayer. And, you know, if you think about it, most people in the world today pray. People around the world are praying today, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Jewish people, Christians. Actually, many people who say they don't believe in God acknowledge that from time to time they pray to most people pray So the first question for us this morning is this, do you pray? Do you pray? And if you pray, when you pray, who is it that you're praying to? I remember the experience that I had as a child in church. I I grew up going to church in one of those church buildings where the, 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 the preacher was in the front, and there was this long part of the building behind him, and it was real dark, and there was this high ceiling back there. And, and I would look up there during the service and, and think, somewhere probably back in that dark, deep corner, that's probably where God is. And, and that's kind of how God worked for me. God was sort of this mysterious, ethereal being back there, kind of on the scene, but kind of disconnected and not very present. Who is this God that we're addressing, that we're talking about, that we're worshiping here today? If you pray, who is the God that you're praying to? But also, what are you praying for? What do you talk about with God? Maybe just pause for a moment right now and think, if you've been praying over the last week, what have you prayed for? What have you talked about with God over the past week? I want you to just kind of preserve that in your mind, and we'll come back to that in a little while. Why do people pray? You know, for many, prayer is a, a sort of a, a thing to make you feel better. It relieves stress. Uh, it maybe keeps God from being angry. Some people approach God as sort of a vending machine. When they need something, they come to him to get what they need. Some people find comfort in the rituals of praying the same things over and over. But the Christian idea of prayer is this. Prayer is answering God. Prayer is answering God. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God initiates. God is the creator. He makes us. He speaks to us, and we respond. The Bible is the record of God's word to us, but it's not just a sort of a written record. The Bible is is unique in all the earth. The Bible is actually the living embodiment of, of these living words of God to us. And so when we When we read the Bible, we actually can encounter the living God, and he can speak to us, and we can then respond. And so when we come to 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6, what is it that God is speaking to us? What is he saying to us, and how shall we answer? 
Well, God is saying very simply here that he desires all people to be saved. He's saying that he alone is God. There's one God, and he's saying that Christ is the only mediator, and through him, people can be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So today's prayer, this call to prayer, it's a missional call from a missional God. It's an intercessory prayer. It's a pleading and a requesting and a calling on God to bring his his kingdom, this, this redemptive reign, this saving rule of Jesus Christ, to bring it not only to us, but through us to the people of the world, the people that we interact with and the people that we intercede for. So pause. How do you pray? Do you pray this way? Does mission fuel your prayers? I don't know about you, but I find it so easy for my prayers to become narrow and small and self-serving, and I so appreciate this passage. I think if I could summarize this passage in one sentence, I, I would put it this way. Because God saves, let the church pray. Because God saves, let the church pray. The church prays in response to, in answer to, the missional heart of God. So let's unpack this as it comes to us. It's going to take this in two steps today. First, kingdom citizens pray for all people. These first four verses. Kingdom citizens pray for all people. Look with me, please, at at verse 1. Again, let's just review what we just heard. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and a, and a, that we, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What sets up this statement, this call from the Apostle Paul? Well, he's writing from another city to his uh, co-worker, Timothy, who's there in the city of Ephesus. Paul had planted this church in Ephesus about 10 years earlier, and there was trouble in the church. Imagine that. Trouble in a church. You ever been in a church in trouble? It happened in the New Testament. It happens today. What was the trouble in this church? Well, it was largely a leadership and teaching trouble. It seems that there were leaders in the church who were teaching bad doctrine, and that doctrine got people all distracted about myths and genealogies. It got them off track from the aim of the charge of the gospel, which was love, just in the same way that we can get off track in a million different ways today, from conspiracy theories to uh, a thousand other things that, that, that derail us from the centrality of the gospel. And this, this false teaching or, or bad teaching had crept into their, their behavior, and it was influencing how they uh, were relating to one another and their church services I wouldn't have wanted to go to one of these churches. It's, it was, seems like it was sort of a free-for-all. I was joking about putting the communion elements out and letting people fight over them, but that, that's almost like what was happening here. It seems like when they would get together for their Lord's Day services, there were a couple things that he draws attention to back in, cha- uh, in chapter 1 and chapter, uh, later in chapter 2. And One of them is when the guys would get together to pray, they'd end up in fights. They'd end up angry with, with, with one another. And the ladies were sort of treating the church service as a, as a fashion show. And so he's saying, no, 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 that's not the way it's supposed to work. First of all, he says, when you get together, chapter 2 is about the church gathered. When you 
get together. Here's some instructions for God-honoring orderly worship. And the first topic is prayer. Hear that. The church is intended to pray together. Prayer isn't just something that we do privately. We pray together. So first of all, then, church, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, I don't know about you, but often I come to this passage and I think of it as a launching pad to pray for people in the government, for civil authorities. And, and that's here. We'll get to that in a moment. But don't miss the obvious, as I often have. Pray for all people. Pray for who? Pray for all people. Let that sink in. All people. Do we go through our world with that all people approach, praying for them? No one is off limits from your mail carrier to drug smugglers at the Mexican-American border to the unreached people like the Uyghurs or the Japanese or the Lahu of Thailand or the Bama of Myanmar to that neighbor of yours who keeps taking your parking spot to the researchers working on a coronavirus vaccine to the talking heads that you see on the news. Pray for all people. Pause. How are we doing? Do we have a disposition to pray for these people that we come across, people that we encounter, people that we see on the news? You know, we live in such an angry and fractured and rude world. And those people that bother you, those people that you might want to ignore, those people that you might want to complain about, here's a call from God. Pray for them. And how? How do we pray for them? Imprecatory prayers of judgment and destruction over them? No, that's not exactly what he has in mind here. The God who desires all people to be saved says, bring to him supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. Are those four sort of very discrete, definable, different ways to pray? Or is that sort of a mashup of a bunch of ways of saying, whatever you do, pray. I think it's probably more of the latter. The, 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 the big idea here is, however you do it, pray. Lift these people up before God. But there are some, some nuances to this. Supplications means making requests where there are needs. Intercessions means boldly appealing on their behalf. Thanksgiving means giving thanks for those people. Think about that. Those people that, ignore, that you want to ignore, those people that bother you, those people who you think if they would just change their minds, everything in the world would be great. Have you given thanks for them? Interceded for them? Made requests for them? Kingdom citizens pray. Kingdom citizens look at their phones and see things and then pray for people. Kingdom citizens drive on the beltway and pray for people. Kingdom citizens talk about politics and sports and the stock market and food and then pray for all people. Now, there is a focus here after this. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions. Who's that? We don't have a king. Actually, there wasn't a king in the Roman Empire at the time either. This, this word, Basileus, king means supreme ruler, whoever's in charge at the time. And those in high positions are those civic leaders who are below that supreme leader. So he's talking about, for us, our civil authorities. 
as kingdom citizens, we want to resist the temptation that is so easily upon us to complain about our government and governing officials and pray for them instead. Listen, think about the people who were in charge at the time this was being written. At the time, this isn't like, wait until you have a really great Christian leader and then pray for that person, right? Somebody who you really love and agree with on most things. No, this is pray for whoever is in power wherever you are. There was not a single Christian ruler on earth at the time this was being written. Not one. The supreme leader of the Roman Empire was a dude named Claudius Nero. Ever heard of him? Nero murdered his mother. He deposed his wife so that his mistress could be with him in ruling. In A.D. 64, shortly after this letter was written, there was a huge fire in the capital city of Rome. Nero needed a scapegoat. Who did he pick? He picked Christians. He persecuted Christians brutally. He would cover Christians in the skins of animals and then let the dogs tear them apart. He burned Christians as human torches to light up the night. History tells us that it would be at the hands of Nero that both Paul and Peter would be martyred, and God's word to the church is pray for Nero. Pray. Listen, if the Holy Spirit called believers in that day to pray for a leader like that and all those governing authorities, how can he expect any less of us here today? So let us pray. Let us pray for our national leaders. Let us pray for our state leaders. Let us pray for our local leaders. It doesn't matter what party they're in. It doesn't matter what their stances are. It doesn't matter what their moral character is. We are called to pray and to pray to a specific end. What is it? What's the direction of the prayers? What's the trajectory of the prayers? Where could these prayers take things if they were all answered? Well, there's two steps to it, and you've got to get both steps to this for this to make sense. So look back here at verse 2. Pray for these leaders that we, may, we, the church, Christians, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, what's this all about? Is the idea then that if, if you pray rightly, Christians will get to live in little bubbles, insulated from all the troubles of the earth. We can live comfortable, soft lives, easy lives with no trouble. No. Listen, the guy who wrote the letter didn't live like that, did he? Paul endured hunger and shipwrecks and betrayals and beatings. So what is he teaching us here? What's the idea? Where do these prayers take us? Why is it pleasing for God to God for Christians to live peaceful and quiet and, and godly lives? Well, the idea here is we're actually not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for our society. We're praying for our fellow citizens. We're praying for these neighbors. This is a part of being a merciful neighbor is to intercede for our society that we may be live, able to live stable and peaceful lives. That's step one. The idea is to pray for your nation, to pray for your city, to pray for your culture and your society, to be stable and peaceful why? So that the church will be free to fulfill its mission, our mission, to be merciful neighbors and to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's step two. Step one is to pray for peace and stability so that, step two, we can be missional in the way that we live. Remember, the Roman Empire at this time was by no means Christian in any way, but the stability of this empire, its highways, its 
common language. It's, it's broad spread government greatly facilitated the travel of missionaries and the spread of the gospel. Very similar to the way over the past 50 years or so, the English language and an American passport has greatly facilitated the spread of the gospel to many different parts of the world. Flip it around. Where there's war and chaos and turmoil and upheaval, it's very difficult for the church to do its work in an organized way, planting churches, making disciples. Try being a Christian today in Syria or Iraq. It's not many churches being planted there, not many pastors being trained up there. Not much opportunity for the church. Lots of one-to-one opportunities to be witnesses for the gospel, but the broader mission is greatly inhibited by great instability. The missional God is calling for a praying church. We're to intercede for all people and especially for civil authorities that we might lead quiet and godly lives. Why? Why? What's the end of our prayers? What are we aiming for so that we can end up in this comfortable little cul-de-sac, insulated and just hanging around each other? No. Prayer needs to go further than just my own needs and my own comfort. We want to pray so that we can spend and be spent to see more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that we can live in such a way that we can make disciples and plant churches and be merciful neighbors and send out missionaries to the end of the earth. Mission fuels our prayers. As we turn back to verse 4 and then 5 and 6 as well, we'll see that the jet fuel that launched a million prayers is the mission of God that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But before we get there, remember I asked in the introduction, what have you been praying for over the last week? Let's just pause here for just some evaluation. How do our prayers from the last week stack up against this one? Do our prayers make it out of the cul-de-sac of personal needs and desires to the Great Commission? Is there a missional element and a missional trajectory to our prayers. Mission isn't the only way to pray. Of course, Jesus teaches us, pray for your daily bread. Bring those personal needs and requests to God. But there's more to prayer than that. God wants us to pray, in effect, your kingdom come. And his kingdom coming means people hearing the good news, that good seed being being sowed around the world and people then coming to saving faith and into his kingdom. That's his will, his desire, that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So let's look at this great king and his desire. Back to verse 4 with me, please. God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Excuse me. Think about these wonderful phrases. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why do we pray for all people? Because God has all people on his heart. The people of the world are on the heart of God. God desires all people to be saved. God desires all people to be saved. Let that sink in. People in your neighborhood, the people you work with, people you see on the news, people you'll never meet, people in different parts of the world, people in cities, people in villages. 
well-educated people, people who don't get much education at all, people who think very much like you and people who think very differently than you. God desires all people to be saved, and he calls us to pray. We live in a world filled with lies. People worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. And the devil, God's adversary, lies to people, offering life and joy and satisfaction in the kingdom of self. But the truth is that only in the kingdom of God is joy and life found. So there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Think of those words. Ponder these things with me. There is one God. Not no gods, as atheism requires. Not many gods, as polytheism requires. One God, one true God, and one mediator. There is no other go-between between God and humanity. No other prophet can bridge the gap to God other than Jesus Christ. Why can't all roads lead to God? Why can't sincere people who are Buddhists or Hindus or spiritual people or Jewish people or Muslims or anyone else... Why doesn't everybody, don't all religions kind of teach the same thing? Aren't we all supposed to sort of love each other? And don't we all end up in the same place anyway? That's not what Jesus teaches. And to understand the ministry of Jesus Christ is to understand this. He is the only mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ can anyone be saved at all. Why? The next phrase tells us, he gave himself as a ransom for all. He gave himself as a ransom for all. What's a ransom? Antilutron in Greek. It's the price paid to set someone free. Jesus says this himself. He says in Mark 10, 45, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to what? To give his life as a ransom for many. Who needs a ransom paid? Do you need a ransom paid? you? Why do people need a ransom paid? People need a ransom to be paid on their behalf because all people are under the sentence of death before a holy God and enslaved to sin by our sin natures. How can we be set free? What is the price to be paid? What is that ransom price? You've heard of ransomware? A lot in the news lately. Ransomware, here's what happens. Hackers lock up computer files servers for businesses or governments or individuals, and then they demand what? They demand a ransom to set the computers free from the ransomware, and that ransom is the price they demand for the freedom of your computer files. What is the price for human beings who are under God's judgment, condemned to die? What is the price to set slaves to sin free? He gave himself. He came to give his life. Jesus Christ dies on a cross. His death in substitute for our death. His life in place of our life. At his birth, Jesus became a man. The man, Christ Jesus. At his death... Jesus paid the ransom for sinners like us. At his return, Jesus will reign as king, and the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. At his birth, Jesus' kingdom was announced. At his death, 
Jesus' mission was finished. It is finished, he called out from the cross. At his return, Jesus' kingdom will be fulfilled. In between, Jesus desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know this truth? Have you experienced this salvation? Have you experienced this rescue? Jesus Christ has come so that each one here, each one looking, watching online today can know the joy of eternal life, of reconciliation with God. You are under a death sentence. You are a slave to sin. You cannot free yourself by trying to be a better person. You cannot free yourself through self-improvement. You cannot free yourself by trying to do some good deed and, and pay some atonement price. You can only free yourself by turning to Jesus Christ and bringing him what you have, your sins. Give them to him, and he will take them and bear them away for you, and he will give you eternal life in exchange. Give him that place, that rightful rule on the throne of your heart, and you will know the joy of being set free to know this great God who's then able to become your father, as it has always intended to be. Oh, won't you come to him for life and rescue and salvation today? Jesus Christ comes into the world to save sinners. And then what happens? Saved sinners band together in churches, and we pray that it'll keep happening, that more people will be saved, and more people will be saved, and more people will be saved. That's why we want to fast and pray together this week. We want to fast and pray together for the people around us, the people in our city, the people in our nation. We want to fast and pray for people who will live and die and never encounter one single authentic Christian. There aren't just hundreds of people like that. There are hundreds of millions of people in our world today who will live and die without ever encountering one living, breathing, authentic disciple of Jesus. Oh, may that change. Oh, God, raise up missionaries. Raise up seed sowers. Raise up disciples with the heart of the king bursting in their chests to share this good news that all might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. May we be churches that live with passion for people we've never met, but people like us who live in darkness. And then once in one spectacular moment through the gospel, a great light shines. We come to know Jesus Christ. As citizens of the kingdom of God, how do we now live? We don't fit very well in our world, do we? We feel kind of homeless politically. We don't fit very well in so many different ways. We're sojourners and exiles. We're merciful neighbors. And we're intercessors. We're people who pray. We began the series just in preaching from Matthew 6 prayer that Jesus taught us. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You know, every time we say that, we're saying, oh God, put things right in the world. Make things the way they're supposed to be. Set things straight. Bring healing and justice and mercy and peace. And most of all, bring salvation into our broken, rebellious, hurting world. Prayer is always answering God. And we answer God as we respond to the saving heart of the King that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I, I want to encourage you 
in the midst of all that's going on in your lives, find some time to pray this week for all people to be saved. Find some way to band together with some other Christians this week. Do it with your family. Do it with your roommates. Do it in a community group. Come out to the prayer meeting on Friday night. Do it by text with some other, whatever ways you can do it. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. And to put this into practice right now, I've given you a prayer that I thought we might pray together this morning. This is a prayer called God's Cause. It's at the end of the, the QR code notes that, that you have. It's, it's in the uh, online button if you, if you don't have it. This is a prayer that comes from the Valley of Vision, which is a book of Puritan prayers. And I think it um, speaks to where we are in this series, it's also, uh, I think, the song that inspired the, uh, the, the prayer that inspired the last song that we're, that we're going to sing in, in, in a moment, uh, the second of the last two songs. What I'm going to ask is, um, maybe we'll just, if you're here with, with me, why don't you stand and let's pray this together. We're going to pray part of it together, and then I'm going to pause and you're going to intercede just, just uh, quietly for a few moments, and then we're going to pray a little part together again, and then we're going to intercede and pray a little more, and then we'll close uh, the prayer together, and then then we'll sing. Okay, so let's say this together. You got it? Find it there? Okay, you ready? Sovereign God, your cause and not our own engages our hearts. And we appeal to you with greatest freedom to set up your kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify yourself and we shall rejoice. For to bring honor to your name is our sole desire. We adore you that you are God and long that others should know it, feel it, and rejoice in it. Oh, that all people might love and praise you, that you might have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to you for your dear name. Pause there, please. Just take a moment and bring all people. Whatever names are on your heart, just bring them before the throne of grace right now. Just quietly lift up those names to God. Hear our prayer, Lord. May each one come to saving faith. Back to the prayer, please. To the eye of reason, everything respecting the conversion of others is as dark as midnight. But you can accomplish great things. The cause is yours. And it is to your glory that people should be saved. Lord, use us as you will. Do with us what you will. But, oh, promote your cause. Let your kingdom come. Let your blessed interest be advanced in this world. Pause. Let's just take a moment now and let's lift up kings and all who are in authority. Let's lift up our national, federal, state, local government, all those leaders uh, all, all those people serving in, in whatever capacity, just lift them up before the throne of grace now with supplications and intercessions and thanksgivings. O oh God, grant great wisdom to all who rule over us that we might be able to lead quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and dignity so that from a stable society, the church might do its missional work in the world. And now we return to the last part of the prayer. Oh, do bring in great numbers to Jesus. Let us see that glorious day and give us to grasp for multitudes of souls 
Let us be willing to die to that end. And while we live, let us labor for you to the utmost of our strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness. It is your cause and kingdom we long for, not our own. O oh God, answer our request. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Thank you.